You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. Axe Church Northwest is located in Vancouver, Washington. We meet each Sunday with two services, one at 9 a.m. and one at 11 a.m. If this is your first time listening, welcome. We hope you enjoy. Want to know more about us? You can check us out online at www.axecamus.org. Okay, here's the sermon. We hope God blesses you through it. It's good to see you all for the first Sunday of 2020. Uh, we have, uh, man, that was a good worship session with you guys. You guys had a lot of energy today. And I want you to know that I appreciate that because there's nothing that the folks up here that work really hard to do that for you love to see more than that they're leading you all into the throne room of God. And that you guys, when you see that look on someone's face that they're truly worshiping the king, there's nothing quite like that as far as just fulfilling the role that these folks have up here. So thank you for worshiping this morning. I looked online. Uh-oh, someone said, yeah. It's not a, not a great place all the time. I looked online for some quotes about achieving what you want through hard work. And I found them. They're there. They're all over the place. Plenty of quotes about how to achieve through hard work. They say things like, if you work hard enough and believe in yourself enough, you can do anything. According to the sports stars, movie stars, bodybuilders with all the muscles everywhere, I don't even know why they want to be that way, but, you know, like I say, it's easy for me to say it was natural for me. So got, they got a six-pack, I got a keg. And so, you know, we'll see who's doing better when things go bad and everyone's looking for food, right? Okay. Anyway, that's what this is all about. They talk about working hard. They talk about believing in yourself and so on. Here's the thing. No, it's not true. It's not true that if you believe in yourself and you work hard enough and blah, 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 you will get anything you want. It's not true. I can tell you, I wanted to be an NFL football player and I worked really hard, but unfortunately I wasn't fast enough. I wasn't big enough. I wasn't strong enough, but I worked hard, but I didn't get what I wanted, right? There were a lot of guys who were playing for the Seahawks in 2015 who worked really, really hard to win the Super Bowl, but Pete Carroll passed, right? Instead of running the ball, and they, they worked really hard and didn't get what they wanted. Every single person who has ever gotten a silver medal worked their whole life for that moment. All, everything, down to that one race or whatever, and it was, ah, done, right? They didn't get it. No gold medal for them. It's not because they didn't work hard, it's not because they didn't believe in themselves. The truth is, there are a lot of other factors to be successful in seeing a vision happen. A lot more than just your work, your hard work, and so on. There's a book called Outliers by a guy named Malcolm Gladwell. And in it, he talks about a lot of the people who have become wildly successful in different areas, okay? Just wildly successful. One of the guys he talks about is Bill Gates. You all have heard of Bill Gates. He's from Washington uh, and runs Microsoft, a little company some of you may have heard of. Done pretty well. And what he talks about is, is that Bill Gates, while he works very hard and while he's brilliant, he's a very smart guy, I assume, he did not achieve the success he achieved simply because of those things. The fact was that Bill Gates happened to become an adult right at the time when computer programming had become easy enough to do from one spot. You used to have to go do all this crazy stuff, and there were punch cards, and some of you may remember how computers used to work back in the day. It had finally gotten to the point where you could connect to a computer and program, and he had gotten this opportunity in high school that almost no high schooler in the world got to do all this programming. There's all these things that he got to do programming-wise so that right when he came to about 20 years old, he had had so much programming, and that was right when it hit the spot where if you had that much programming, the computer world had come to a point where those two things matched and you were able to take off. If he had been born a few years earlier or a few years later, he would have missed it. We would not have Bill Gates. It would be somebody else. In fact, what he found was that of all the big computer folks that did well, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, several others he talks about, the guy who's, who runs Cisco and some different places, all of them were born within about a year of each other. All of them. They were all born this once, but you had to be at this age, at this time, with enough computer programming experience to make it happen, which is only a few people in the world that were in that situation, and they were super successful. 
He talks about a lot, of other, a lot of other people who were successful and how those things worked out. But the point is, it's not just hard work, believing in yourself and whatever, that makes for success. To believe that you have gotten what you've gotten or that you're going to be successful or whatever just by your hard work is just prideful, ignorant, and arrogant. It's not true. It's not true. You have to be at the right place at the right time and have things go your way and so on. Generally, economic factors have to be this way and the industry that you're in has to be that way and so on and so forth. Nobody does incredible things by themselves. Nobody does. Okay? We're all just people. Work, hard work by itself does not guarantee that you will reach your dreams. I'm not trying to make you all feel bad. I know some of the younger people in here are like, Oh, great. I've been told this my whole life. If I work hard, let's be honest. You're not working that hard, okay? I've seen you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sure you guys are working hard. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. I'm just teasing. The fact is, is that there is a good side to this story for us, a really good side to this story. Here's the truth. We, in this room, hopefully those watching online who are Christ followers, we do not have to depend on random factors happening in order to be successful and to see a vision come to pass, to see God's vision happen. We don't have to have all these factors happen because we serve God. And because we serve God, there is no randomness or accident that gives us success. Our victory comes from the Lord. Our victory comes from the Lord. We have Jesus. We have a mission from God. And our work in that mission will be fruitful. Will be fruitful. And our work will be rewarded eternally. John 15, 16 says this. You did not choose me. This is Jesus talking. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father of my name, he may give you. We are not walking around in a random universe, hoping that things happen to work out. We have been appointed and chosen, and there's a plan, and God will make it happen. Listen to 1 Peter 2, 1 through 10. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. And I hope you all have tasted that. Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. What? We are chosen people a chosen generation, his own special people. We are called to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light because we have been given mercy. Now, there's a lot going on there, and it's amazing. We are not floating on some sea of randomness hoping that things happen to us and that we happen to hit the right age at the right time and we can be successful in doing whatever. Those of us in Christ have been set aside for real, serious, fulfilling work in bringing the message of salvation and darkness to light to the world. We have been chosen to bear fruit, enduring fruit, fruit that hits the water and ripples through eternity. We've been chosen for that. We can ask the Father in faith, and he will give us what we ask, and we can be sure of his promises. 
And that's pretty amazing. Now, what is your faith in those promises? This is what Hebrews 11.1 1 says. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. We can believe and be sure that God will come through on what he says he will come through on. For those of you unsure who face or struggle with anxiety, depression, difficulties, and so on, let me tell you something. You can be sure, convicted, assured that God will do what he says he's going to do, period. You can be sure of it. The things that we ask for, he's going to give us. Now, having said that, we have to ask with the right heart. We have to ask with the right heart. Our will needs to be the will of God. Because we love him so much because he first loved us, because he died for us, because he rose again, because he's freed us from sin. we got to love him so much that our will is to see his will done. When we look to God and we say, God, give me a heart after your heart that I might will what you will, he'll give that to us. And then we can ask him for things and know that those things are going to be his will. Because so often what we ask for, what we desire, what we want is less about God and his will and more about us and our pleasures. This is something that we struggle with. Our bodies are still suffering in this fallen, broken world, and sometimes we focus on ourselves instead of him. And when we do that, we ask for things the wrong way, and we get all kinds of messed up. This is what James says, James 4, 1 through 10. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Or you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. There's a lot there. There's several things there that are really important teachings for us today and what we're going to go through. Number one. When we think about ourselves and our own pleasures and focus on those things and ask God for those things and, and, and are, are wrapped up in ourselves and our pleasures, being inward focused, it causes disunity. Disunity, it causes us to be enemies with one another. That's what the scripture says here. When we focus selfward, we end up being enemies. Everyone truly, mostly thinking about themselves and their own desires and not about each other. And it divides us. It divides us. Number two, when we desire the things of the world and focus on the world, we become enemies of God. Now, if you look around, there seems to be nothing quite so prevalent as the desire for people to feel valued and that they fit in, in the world. I'm not just talking about in the church or whatever. I'm talking about in the world. You look at, I mean, this starts young, right? You go to school, you get into school at the beginning and there's all these kids and you want to make sure you fit in with them and you want to, you know, you want to, you want to be respected. You want all that kind of stuff and then it just keeps going on. When you become an adult, it doesn't go away. It's not the same, but you continue to want to be valued and respected by the world. Here's the problem. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to get this, get this in your heart and your head. As a believer in Jesus Christ, the world will not ever respect you. The world will not ever love you because the world is an enemy of God and you are a child of God. That's the way that it is. When we see 
a movie star, a, a music star, a sports star, whatever, who comes and, and makes a profession for Christ. We should be really happy about that. We should praise the Lord for that. Anybody who comes to Christ. Sometimes, though, and I've been caught in this too, we tend to go, oh, so-and-so is a, is a professing believer, and, and because they're famous and they sort of have the world that sort of loves them, maybe some of that legitimizes our faith and our Christianity. Like, well, you know, so-and-so is a Christian too. There's some of that feel. That, unfortunately, getting too much that way with it makes it look like what we really want is the respect of the world, which makes it really look like we love the world and what the world can do for us and what the, the way the world makes us feel. And God's saying, don't. And there's a reason. Because the world has set itself against God. And if we want to be friends with the world, can't be friends with God. I don't know if you've ever had a couple friends that, you know, you're in a, a group of friends and a couple of them start fighting with each other, right? And maybe you talk to one of them and they're like, are you still hanging out with so-and-so? Like, well, yeah, I see him for time. Well, if you're friends with him, you're no friend of mine, right? They set themselves against each other. And unfortunately, the world has set itself against God. We cannot be friends with the world. We cannot desire the world and the things of the world and the things the world can give us and the, and the, uh, the power that we might be able to get from it. The winning, being on the right team or the right thing or, or have, have the right people that respect us, all of that's got to be gone if we want to be friends with God. We cannot be friends with the world. But if we submit to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. If we live a holy and righteous life and we humble ourselves, God will lift us up. We focus on ourselves, we focus on the world, we end up disunified and enemies of each other and enemies of God. We put that away, we live righteously, we humble ourselves, God lifts us up. Those are the options. There's not a third option given here in the passage. Now let me tell you how all that relates to our vision as a local expression of the body of Christ here at Acts Church. We have to be in the will of God. Not in our own will, in the will of God. We have to ask God to move, to move among us. And to do that, we have to be in God's will and unify with one another. Friends with God, friends with each other. Connected to God, connected to each other. We have to have that to make it happen. And we have to reject the world. We want to be a friend with God. We want to be close to God. We've got to reject the world and live holy and humble lives to see God lift us up. It's got to happen that way. Any vision that does not include that is doomed to failure. It's doomed to failure. If we will do that, we can trust the Lord that he will fulfill the promises that he's given us way beyond even our hopes. This is what Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8 says. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. We can trust God that if we follow God and we trust him fully in his promises, he will fulfill all of his promises. Even when we can't see it, even when it doesn't seem like it, because we're like a tree with our roots going into the river. So it can get hot and it can, there can be a drought and whatever, but our leaves are green because we're trusting God no matter what we see out here. We have faith that he will fulfill our promises and he will fulfill his promises to us. That's what it looks like. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things, all things, Work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. That's a promise. That's one you can have faith in, assurance, conviction that it's going to happen. We know that all things will work together for good because God always does what he says he will do. God always does what he says he will do. But there's a question that we have to answer. Each of us have to answer it, and we have to answer it as a local expression of the body of Christ here at Acts Church because we're responsible. Each one of us will be called to account for what we did in the body that he called us to. And here's the question that we have to answer. Are we going to follow Jesus in what he's asked us to do? 
His way or our way? Are we going to follow Jesus in what he has asked us to do, in what Jesus has commanded us to do? Well, you can't answer that question without knowing what he's commanded of you. It's what it says in Acts 1, 4 through 8. Jesus is risen from the dead. He's about to ascend to heaven. He's talking to his disciples, and he says this. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons, which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You shall. Not you can if you want. Not if you're not busy. You shall be witnesses of the resurrected Christ who has saved us. That's not just to them, that's to us. We are to be witnesses of the one who rose from the dead, Jesus Christ, the Savior, the King of Kings. That's your job. That's our job as a church. That's our job, each of us. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, and this is after he rose from the dead also, at the end. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. All authority, all authority in heaven and earth is given to Jesus. And he says, go. That means he has chosen you to take his authority and go. Now, that's a big deal. That's a very big deal. We have this verse up in big letters on the wall on the outside wall of this room right here. And there's a reason they are there because this is the mission statement of every believer who has ever believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the mission statement. This is what we are to do. This is the way to follow for the Christ follower. This is what following looks like, is doing what Jesus has told us to do. No matter who you are or who you think you are. You came in here today and you're like, man, I've had a rough life. I've done some things I'm not proud of. I haven't been as good at being a worker or a father or a son or a daughter or a mother or whatever. I've messed up here. I've messed up there. I don't feel very valuable. I don't feel like God has much for me. Let me just tell you something. Ask yourself who's right, you or God? Because God has made something very clear, that he has all authority on heaven and on earth, and he has authorized you as a Christ follower to go. He has authorized you. You are walking around carrying the stamp, the seal of the king of kings and the creator of the universe, you. You have been called to go do something eternally significant empowered by the Holy Spirit, which he has promised to give each one of us as believers. And when you came to know Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. You are walking around a child of the creator of the universe. Who cares what anybody else thinks? And he says, who cares about your past? Because I have forgotten it as far as east is from west. Don't live in that shame anymore. Go. Go out with my authorization as my child. Go out and do this, this mission. See people come to the Lord to be discipled, to learn everything that he's commanded us. That's our job. You are that important. And I don't say you're important like a lot of people say you're important, like some public service announcement on TV by people who don't understand the power of God or the value of people. I'm telling you as someone who understands the power of God and knows that you were made in his image and likeness, and what he's told me in scripture is that you have been chosen as a royal priesthood. You, no one is below that. That's an amazing thing. If you're walking around this world, authorized by the king to go, and you're not going, you are missing it. Brother and sister, you are missing what God has for you. You aren't getting it all. If you aren't getting to see the power of the Holy Spirit work through you because you don't feel like you're good enough, you're calling God a liar who said that you're good enough because he's good enough and that he's authorized you. 
This is the life that we are to live. You are important because Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, has chosen you and authorized you, and the Holy Spirit has empowered you for real, eternally significant work. Work that is fulfilling. Work that will bless you, that will bless others. Work that will be rewarded. Work that will lead to the words that every one of us should want to hear more than anything else. Well done, good and faithful servant. Can you imagine? You come into the presence of the Lord, knowing everything that you are without him. And because you're in him, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. That's an incredible thing. Let's be good and faithful servants, right? What does that look like? When I was playing sports as a younger man, there was a term that we had for giving less than your full, less than your full effort. It was called dogging it. Dogging it. You're dogging it. Robinson, you're dogging it. Run faster. Bring that water out here for these guys. <laughs> I told you I didn't make the NFL, right? So, Dogging it was giving a half effort. Dogging it was showing a lack of true commitment to the mission of the team. A lack of commitment to trying to win. That was the thing. So you got to give it everything if you wanted to win. We can dog it in almost anything. You can be dogging it in all kinds of places in life. You can dog it at work, even in your hobbies, parenting, your marriage, your friendships, and you can dog it as a Christ follower. Believe that. You can dog it. The normal result of dogging it is that the mission is not accomplished when you dog it. You get what you pay for. You reap what you sow. If the whole team goes to practice and dogs it the whole time, and they go to play the game and they dog it, they're not likely to win. If you're in your marriage and you're dogging it, it's not going to go well. If you're parenting and you're dogging it, it's probably not going to go well. If you're at work and you're dogging it, you're probably not going to have that job very long. Any team, any group that together has a general culture of dogging it is not going to accomplish the mission that they have in mind because they're not fully committed to it. This is the problem. If we want to accomplish the work that Christ has set out for us to accomplish, there cannot be any dogging it. Cannot happen. We must be completely, completely committed. 100%. That means no business as usual. We look at the efforts of a lot of people and a lot of things that they try to do, and we can often see why they fail. They haven't thought it through up front. They dog it, right? They, they aren't truly and fully committed. Sometimes they fail because of, of things and circumstances outside of their control. But here's the deal for us. We will never fail at the mission that we've been given because of circumstances that are out of our control. Because with God, not only are all things possible, but all things on, connected to this mission are promised according to his will. There will not be any circumstances outside of God's control ever for you, Christ follower, ever. If we are faithful, he will be faithful. In fact, even when we mess up, he gives more grace. Praise God. As we read in James. But we cannot continue to live and serve in the way that we have been doing and expect to see great things. And I'm not talking about any one of you as individuals or me or the church or whatever. I'm talking about generally speaking, the church worldwide, all of us as Christ followers, if we continue to follow Christ Halfway, three-quarters of the way. If we're not completely committed, we will not see the mission go forward, at least through us, the way that we want to, the way that we've been promised because we're not doing what we're supposed to do. We have to be utterly and completely, completely, completely committed to seeing God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. That needs to be our commitment. We have some examples in Scripture of what this looks like. I'm going to read some to you out of the book of Acts. Some of you may remember this book. We were in it for a while. Then Peter said to them, repent 
And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children, and this is important, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord God, our God will call. Who's that? It's us. At Pentecost, Peter is making a promise, not just to the people who are standing there, but to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord God will call, which is every one of us who's a Christ follower. He's saying, this promise is to you. Be baptized. Get the Holy Spirit. You're one of, you're one of us. You're in the family. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. I know it's difficult for us to imagine being part of a perverse generation, but you'll just have to, you know, kind of imagine it. This is today, right? Nothing has changed until the Lord comes back. Every Christ follower will be fighting against a perverse generation. And Christ will save us from it. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all, all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Acts 4, 32 through 37. Now the multitude of those who believed, multitude, that's all of them, okay, were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joses, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Acts 5.42. And daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Acts 6.7. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, what is clear? What is clear about those who Christ called in the, at the beginning in the church. There is some very, very clear principles. There are very clear principles here for what it looks like to be a Christ follower. What are they? One, they were completely committed. Completely committed. They were willing to share everything, all of their stuff. Nothing was held back. Now, I'm not suggesting to you, I know some of you might be getting nervous, that you all go out and sell your houses and bring the money in and let us be a communist, you know, commune here. That's not what I'm suggesting. I don't want to deal with that. Too much accounting, okay? I don't like math enough to do that. I mean, if God's calling you to sell your house and bring the money, do it. But if that's not the case, that's not, that the principle is not about the fact, in my opinion, that you sell everything. Here's the principle. Are you so completely committed that if God asked you for anything, you would do it? including and up to selling everything you had, going to the mission field, whatever it is. Are you so completely committed that God can have everything that he's given you if he asks for it? Even more so, are you so completely committed that you would lay your life down for the gospel, for Jesus Christ? Because they would, and they did. They did. The disciples said yes to those things. I am that committed. And often they laid their lives down for the sake of Jesus Christ and his gospel. That's what it looked like. Completely committed to God. Completely committed to Jesus Christ and his gospel. We've got to ask ourselves, is that where we are? What's the bar look like? What do we expect of other believers and of ourselves? Do we expect that? Or is that like, whoa, it's a little fanatical. It's a little much. 
You would die for it? If God told you to sell everything, you just sell all your stuff? If God said to move to Africa, you just go move to Africa? Ask yourself, just be honest with yourself in your own heart. What are you holding back? Maybe it's your money. A lot of us, it's like, I'm not going to hold back the five bucks I have, right? Whatever. We don't have a lot of money. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a little pet sin in your life. The one that you keep telling yourself isn't that big of a deal. Now, you'll get over it eventually. God will just, you know, he probably doesn't care. It's a tough world to live in, and you've got to have a few of your own little vices, right? I don't know what it is for you. But are there things that you are holding back from being completely committed to Christ? From seeing your life as eternal? From playing the long reality? Are you holding anything back? Because they weren't. Number two, they were completely unified. Completely unified. It says they were all of one heart. One mind. They were totally together. They were in one accord. Doesn't mean they could fit in a Honda, right? One accord means rushing along in unison. That's what it means, okay? It means they're all together. They're all, they all have the same mission. Their eyes are straight on Jesus, and they're all together, and like, that's where we're going. We're all of one heart, shield wall, on we go. Nobody out on the edge is, well, I'm going to do it my way, and I just think that it's just me and the Holy Spirit, and whatever he tells me, I just read the Bible my own way. And None of that. None of that. There's Jesus. I've got scripture. I've got my brothers and sisters, and we're on. We're moving. That's how they were. Unified. They loved each other. Absolutely loved each other. And before you think that, well, they were all culturally similar or whatever. No, no, no. These were people from all over the world who had come to Jerusalem at Pentecost, right? They would have spoken all these different languages. As you recall from Pentecost, all these different languages came out. They would have been, had different, different cultural stuff. There would have been some, some Hellenistic, Greek-type uh, Jewish people, and there would have been folks from Jerusalem. There would have been people from all over. And here they are, and they all come to Christ, and they're like, let's do this thing. And they celebrated the differences of each other and saw the gifts and the value in that, and they're like, let's go together. So it wasn't as easy as you might think. Prior to that, there was probably a lot of prejudices about the folks who were from over there or the folks who were from over there. And they were like, no, no, forget all that. We're together. We're rushing forward in unison, in one accord, loving one another. That's what it was like. No petty jealousies. No nonsense. Just together. Loving each other. Number three. They were completely present. They were completely present. What does that mean? means that their lives were about the work that Jesus Christ had given them. Their lives were about the work of the church, which is the body of believers. That's what they were about. They had jobs, okay? They had kids, they had families, they had obligations, just like all people have. But they met every day, every day, every day for teaching and for eating together and for fellowshipping and for discipling one another and for just listening to one another and just for being with each other every day. Now, if I said, okay, 2020, church every day, we'll see you at 6 o'clock tomorrow night, everyday church, I think a lot of you would be like, mm, I got plans, right? I know I would. <laughs> I wouldn't. I don't have any plans. I'm kind of boring, but you all probably have these fabulous lives with lots of plans. The point is, it would be a pretty serious commitment. That's where they were at. You, you might think, oh, it was a lot easier back then. They didn't have Netflix. Well, that's true. They didn't have Netflix, thank God. But there was plenty to occupy them. They had been occupying themselves their whole life with whatever. They gave that up because they raised up the call to Christ and the mission that he had given them above everything else. Everything else had to fit into that because that was the thing that defined where they were going. That's how they could be of one mind and going forward. They were present. They showed up you got to be there to be there. If you're not there, you don't care. That's a Dr. Davidism. And he's right. And they, they were there. Why? Because they cared. Because they were animated in the power of the Holy Spirit to see more and more people come to know Jesus and grow in him. 
to see more and more people go from darkness and the perverse generation to light and kingdom life in Jesus Christ. That was their main focus. What was the result of people who lived like this? What was the result? And the number of the disciples multiplied. Not addition, multiplication. I don't know, for all the, some of you are like, I don't remember math. Multiplication is the one that looks like this and makes numbers a lot bigger than addition. Okay? Multiplied. It says, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, I just want you to imagine for a minute what it would look like if we were so committed to the gospel, if we were so committed to Jesus Christ and to the mission that's on the wall out there, that it was more than just something we put on the coffee cup, that we, were, that we lived it, that we breathed it, that we were rushing along in unison together for that mission, what it would look like to see people coming to know Jesus every single day. That I get a call, you know, we have life groups that meet almost every day of the week. I get a call every day from some life group. Hey, another person came to the Lord. Hey, a couple more people came to the Lord. Sunday morning, people are coming to the Lord. You know, every day, every day, people just coming to the Lord, coming to the Lord, coming to the Lord. Imagine what that would look like. Right here, among us, in this local expression of the body of Christ at Acts Church, imagine what that would be like. We had to start setting aside special services for baptisms because we didn't have time on Sunday mornings anymore because so many people were getting saved. What would that look like? If anyone thinks that's not possible, you do not know Jesus Christ like I know him, and I want you to know him that way. It is possible. It's not only possible. If we were to be committed like this, I'd say it's promised. Why do you think we would see anything? You think they were less corrupt as a culture than we are? Give me a break. Historically, that is a non-starter. They were very corrupt. In fact, we probably are less corrupt in a lot of ways than they were. That was the environment that they were in. Was it easy? No. Were they committed and did God fulfill his promises? Yes. And every time and every time. And the church was blowing up. 3,000 people in one day. Within, within a very short time, 5,000 people were in the church. I mean, it just kept going and going, multiplying. Because they were committed they were committed to each other and unified, and they were committed to being present. And that's what we saw happen. I want you to have a passionate desire to see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. I want that to be my passionate desire. I want it to be your passionate desire, our passionate desire. When we're looking at Christ, we're like, your will, your will, how do we achieve your will? How do we do it? I want you to wake up every single morning with a clear calling and a clear vision for that calling. I want you to be so committed to God and to your brothers and sisters in Christ that we see God do amazing things. I'm not just talking for fun. This isn't, this isn't a show that we put on. This isn't a club that we belong to. This is the body of Christ. It has been going on for over 2,000 years strong, and it's still strong because the power of the Holy Spirit is still here with us. There is no difference between Acts and 2020 except whether we're willing to be as committed as they were. That's it. Are we committed to the mission the way they are? Because if we are, we'll see the results that they saw, period. It's the way it is. We dog it, expect to see dogging it type results. We commit to it, expect to see committed results. Expect to see the book of Acts again. I want you to live like Paul, your brother in Christ from way back, who said this, this is in Acts 20, 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Does that mean he didn't care about his life at all? No. He's saying, in comparison to this mission that I have been saved and set apart and authorized and empowered to do, nothing compares to this. All these other things in life, they're great. Enjoy your family. Go on vacation. Watch your Netflix. Whatever. We all, we all have things that God has given us to enjoy, but they should be way down here in comparison to the big goal. They should never get above it. I know whatever new series that you've been watching comes out, and it's a big deal. But it shouldn't be a bigger deal than showing up to church. 
It shouldn't be a bigger deal than witnessing for the gospel. The biggest deal in your life should be that mission on that wall out there. It's the one that's going to be eternal. That's what Paul's saying. This is the life that God has for you. It's a good life. It's a joyful life. It's a fulfilling life. Many of you, if not most of you, have gone through orientation. That means that if you graduated, you sent me an email at some point that said, God has called me to Acts Church. If that's you and you've done that, and you've said that God has called you here, I have got great news for you. You have been called to an amazing and blessed body of believers that God has set aside, authorized, and empowered for great, amazing works that he will do through us. And you get to be a part of it. You get to fulfill this mission, the power of the Holy Spirit. See, it's not biblical for just me and the elders or the deacons or the other leaders in the church or the staff or whoever to be on mission and everybody else to watch us be on mission. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. The elders of the church and the other leaders and the teachers are here to teach you not how to live a better life or to be, be a little more good you know, 10 steps to doing better at work or being a better parent or whatever. That's not what this is about. We're not just using the Bible as a general moralistic way to feel better or do better. It's not a self-help book. We are the church. We are teaching you to equip you and ourselves to go and do the work of the mission. The church is not me or people who stand up here or people who have some title or something. We are equal before God and we are all called. Every one of you has a job to do. You are called to a church. If it's not Acts Church, you better find out where it is because there's a body somewhere walking around without a foot or an eye or an ear. And if you're supposed to be here and you're not here, then we're walking around stumbling. And it's hard not to dog it when you're limping. We need you to do your part that we're equipping you to do to fulfill that mission so that we can all be together, a healthy body moving forward. If you've been called here, we will equip you, Lord willing, to be everything that God has called you and authorized you and empowered you to be. I want to stir up your affection and your honor and have you give glory to God and to Jesus Christ, his only begotten son who died for you and rose again. I want you to be equipped to be fishers, fishers of people. I want to see you hooking them left and right, like those tuna fishermen who are just like, wah, bah, wah, bah. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's pretty amazing. That's who we need to be. That's our job. Our life should be a sacrifice to the one who redeemed and saved us, who sacrificed himself for us and rose again. We should be a light to the world. Christ's light should be shining through us. It's our job. And all of that, each of you and me, should be doing our part within the body of Christ to work and serve and fulfill our mission. Now, our vision for Acts Church is relatively simple. It's the words out there on the wall. That's our mission, right? And our vision is to see those words on the wall acted out and executed by us. Now, how do we do that? The first thing Jesus tells us is to go. We want to be a church that goes. We're going. We're moving. We're doing. A lot of you probably know somebody who's a goer. They're always going. Make you tired just watching them go. Like Zip, zip, zip. Go, go, go. We have some folks at this church who are like, one of those people is Julie Cook. I don't know how many of you know Julie. But She goes. I mean, I don't even know how she goes, like she goes, but she goes. And it's just like, what can I do? Where can I be helpful? What, you know, what, what do I need to do? How do we, because she knows the mission. That teaching has been given to her, and she knows that we're trying to accomplish that mission. And she's saying, where do I fit? How can I do? What can I do? She gets tired sometimes like all of us, but she goes. She's a goer. We have several like that in this church. We need to be like that. As a church, we've got to be goers. Goers and doers. And we're, we want to see people come to the Lord. We want to see them discipled and taught everything that Jesus has commanded. How do we do that? Several things. One, we have church on Sunday mornings where we worship God, where we teach his word, and where we fellowship with one another. And we have life groups during the week. 
okay, where we fellowship, we break bread together, most life groups eat something, which should be a draw for most of you, and we study the word together, and we grow in relationship together. Now, we have other stuff, too. We have Acts Kids and youth group and orientation classes and young adults and, and, and men's and women's meet from time to time and do stuff. But those are, those are over here. For adults at Acts Church, there are two primary ways that we minister, Sunday morning and life group. Those are the two primary ways that we see people come to Christ and grow in Christ and learn all that Jesus has commanded us. That's how we fulfill the mission. It's simple. Someday, maybe it'll be more significant there may be a bigger number of things that we do, but right now, those are the things that we commit to as a church to fulfill that mission. That is our vision. It's not changing for 2020. It's going to continue to move forward that for adults in this church, those are the things we do. Now, if you're youth, youth group is part of that. If you're an Axe Kids, you're not even up here, so don't worry about it. Or if you are, Axe Kids is part of that. Young adults have a group that, that I think they should be part of that's, that's focused on teaching the Word of God. The Pastor Dave is doing. Great Bible teacher. You have an opportunity that you're missing if you're not showing up for that. We want to make disciples of all nations starting right here and spreading out. Honduras, the Philippines, Alaska, that's all part of it. As well as every place around here moving out. We want people to grow in relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the way we do it. Now, number two, there's three things that define the way we do things at X Church that every one of us needs to have in mind. I'm going to start from the bottom up. Number three, excellence. Excellence. We want to do everything that we do with excellence. You may have noticed that we put some money and some time and some effort into this building. It was an older building. We could have stayed here and had the pink pews and then the whole thing. It would have been fine. I can preach in that environment. We can still do music and whatever. There's a reason why we did all this. And it wasn't necessarily for those of us who are already part of the church. We have done what we've done in this building. We'll continue to do what we're doing. And hopefully, if we are committed like I want to be committed, we'll see a new building out on that side. This will end up being the youth service area because that's how many youth we'll have. And we'll be meeting over there in a, in a different building. That's the ultimate goal. Not ultimate. That's the next step goal. Let's put it that way. But everything we do is excellent. There's a reason why we spend money on screens like this and whatever. It's not because we want to be cool. It's because when somebody who's a lost person walks into this place, I need them to know how much we care about Jesus. And one of the ways you show that is by showing that you'll put in the time, the effort, the energy, and the money to make things excellent. That's how people know that you care. You walk into a building that's old, that hasn't been updated in a long time, and the bathrooms are dirty, and the stuff is whatever. And, you know, people leave their stuff all over and whatever. What it says is they don't really care that much. When you walk in, it's clean, and it's nice, and it's new, and it's taken care of. What it says is these people care about what they're saying in there. It actually gives more value to the singing, to the teaching, when people walk into a building that's excellent, when people are greeted with excellence. When you do everything that you do as a Christ follower with excellence, it says that you really care about it. It's not something you throw aside. For those of you who have ever had your dream car, your dream house, whatever, are you not waxing that thing with your underwear, right? The nice, I don't know, your underwear. I mean, depends on whether I'm wearing any. But I'm doing the, you know, you're, you're, you're waxing that thing up, shining it up, your house, mowing that lawn. You want it just right, go out there with the scissors, get it just because you care about that thing. People can go, what does this person value? They value their house, their lawn, their car, whatever. We value the church, which is us, and the building that we meet in, and the things that we do, and so we're going to do them excellently. That's number three. Number two, heavenly kingdom culture. Everything you do should be seasoned with a heavenly kingdom culture, the culture that we're learning about as we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount that you love people, that you listen to people, that when someone comes into this building, that you aren't just thinking about you and, what, and who you want to talk to and whatever, but you see, whoop, new person. I want to bring a heavenly kingdom and culture. I want to make them feel valued as being made in the image and likeness of God and that we, we want to minister to them. And that's the way we treat each other. That's what one accord is about. That's what unity is about, a heavenly kingdom culture. So we do everything with that mindset. And number one, Grace and truth. That we hold the tension of grace and truth properly. There are people who want to move to one side or the other of that. 
okay? It, it, let's just put it this way. You could be tempted to move all the way over to grace so that we emphasize grace to the exclusion of truth and everything becomes okay. And we don't hold anybody accountable and there's no church discipline and there's no whatever because we're so about grace. And you can also come all the way over here and be so focused on truth that you become a Pharisee. And all you care about is, is everybody doing what they're supposed to do in checklists and whatever. Instead, we need to be here where Christ has called us to be, holding grace and truth in tension. At the same time, let me just help you out with something. This is the word of God. It does not change. We will not change what we believe about the word of God. We're not going to have an evolving idea like some folks do about what Jesus Christ says. It's clear. It's been clear for 2,000 years. We aren't changing. At the same time, every human being who comes into this church will be treated with grace. Because here's the deal. When a lost person comes in, let me, let me ask you something. What do lost people act like? They act like lost people. Just like you were, just like I was. And what did we need? The grace of Jesus Christ. We're going to show grace. We're going to show grace. But we're going to hold that tension with truth. We want to see real transformation. we got to learn how to hold tensions. Those are the three things that define what we do. Now, i got to skip a little bit. I'm out of time. So what I'm going to do is there's a, there's a piece of paper that looks like this that you either sat on or that's in a seat next to you. Grab a pen. Share a pen if there's not enough. Whatever you got to do. This is what this is about, okay? This is your commitment to the Lord for 2020. You can fill it out or not. I'm not taking these back. The reason your signature here is on the bottom, that's about you making a commitment to the Lord. I'm not going to see it. You shouldn't let the people around you see it. This is between you and the Lord. But there's several things on here. I'm going to go through them as quick as I can. I know there's a game on later. <laughs> commitment has its bounds, right? No, I'm kidding. The first one is this. There's five lines for people in the church. Five lines. I want you to write the names of five people that are part of the body of Acts Church that you are going to commit to pray for. I would hope and, and, and encourage you to pray for them every single day as part of your devotional time. But that you're going to pray for regularly. That's what you're committing to the Lord for 2020. This year, you're praying for these five people. And as a fully committed follower of Christ who's sold out, that you might find time to maybe give them a call or go have coffee with them at least every once in a while. At least once this year with each one of them, if not more than that. That you would connect them and, you, and th in those times that you would use that opportunity to listen to them and to encourage them. To build each other up. Five people. Next, you see people in your life. God has given you each a life, and there are people in it. That makes this one easy. Five people in your life who are not attending a church, who live close enough to drive to this church and to our body, who you are going to start praying for vigorously, and who you're going to start inviting to church every single week until they come. Tell them that you're praying for them. Tell them that you're inviting them. Have the courage to be fully committed and five people, you're praying for them, you're going to invite them to church. Under that comes some of the hard stuff for some of us. One, giving. Just put a check next to tithing if you're going to tithe this year. If you, for some reason, are, you know, have a belief about Scripture that tithing isn't for you know, New Testament believers and whatever, I'd be happy to have that conversation with you. You're wrong. It's not true. Tithing is. It's from long before the Old Testament uh, law was given, and it has continued in and is talked about in the New Testament. Tithing is a principle. 10%, our first fruits, go to the Lord. So check next to that if you're going to tithe. If you're not going to, don't check it because you're committing to the Lord here. Tell them I'm not here if they want to talk to me. Alms. What does alms mean? All that it means here is that when the Holy Spirit moves you outside and beyond your tithing, if somebody's in need, somebody... Some... <laughs> it's 2020, guys. There's a little thing on the phone. You're all right. If someone is in need, if someone in your life needs something, the Holy Spirit moves you, you're going to give to it. If we make a call for something for the Philippines or Honduras and the Lord moves you to, if the Holy Spirit moves you, then you're going to give to that. Just that you're going to be open to the Holy Spirit for giving beyond your tithing 
to things that God calls you to do. Next, attending. Sunday services and life group. This is part of being committed to Acts Church. This is part of the body life of Acts Church. Check those if you're committed that you will be at, at Sunday service and at life group every single time unless you are sick or on vacation. If one of those things is not true, you will be here. You will be here without fail, or at work, obviously, if you have a job that calls you away. There are times when you can't do that, but if you're not sick or on vacation or at work because you have to be at work that day, you will be at life group, you will be at Sunday services. Last one is personal devotional life. We put out, most of you got an email that has the, that has our suggested Oh, that's all right. Here we go. Has our suggested yearly Bible reading program. It's only five days a week. If you do all five, if you don't get it one day, you can catch up on the weekend. You'll get through the whole Bible in a year. If you've never done that, it is very fulfilling. It's awesome to read the word. If you're willing to do that, check that box. Praying. You got to pray. This is saying, I'm going to pray regularly, if not every single day for this church, and for God to use you and us to see his mission fulfilled. Now, I'm going to give you some time to do that. You're going to keep this to yourself. Don't put this in the offering. This is yours for you to take and for you to be serious about it. If you've made a commitment to the Lord, a commitment to the Lord is a big deal. If you don't want to make it, don't make it. But don't make it and then not do it. Fulfill your commitments. Thanks for listening to that Acts Church sermon. We hope God spoke to you through it. We would like to invite you to join us in person on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. for our Sunday service. If you enjoyed this sermon, have questions for us, or simply want to connect with Axe Church more, find us on Facebook under Axe Church Northwest. Send us an email or message, or leave us a rating or recommendation. We appreciate all of you and hope to hear from you.